Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. Well, normally it's author interviews and book reviews, but today is something special, something different, but also related. And I'm really thrilled to be interviewing James Marriott, who's a journalist with The Times. He's a columnist and he reviews books and he reviews podcasts. If you're ever interested in finding out about more podcasts, which ones to listen to, and which ones to avoid, you should read James's reviews. They're superb. But enough about me waffling on. Let's talk to James now. Well, it is my huge pleasure to welcome to the podcast today, James Marriott from The Times. James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very pleased to come and be able to come on. Very interested to talk to you, James, because yes, you are a columnist for The Times, very importantly, but also your things in in times gone by have been books and now a podcast. So you're someone that I've been so looking forward to talking to. Can you just tell us a bit more about what you do? Yeah, well, I've got a slightly strange job. I'm very lucky to have and I sort of managed to carve out for myself. I started at The Times on the books desk. Then I moved over and started writing opinion columns. Now I also review podcasts. So I'm sort of reviewing three things, podcasts, books, and then society. I feel like an opinion column is often a kind of my weekly review on culture and society, if that's, that sounds very grand. So yeah, it's those three things, which, yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating job. It's one I'm very lucky to have. Yes. I mean, did you design that? Did you write a letter to Father Christmas when you were younger saying, please, could I have this job? 
Absolutely not at all. I mean, it's all been completely random. A few years ago, I'd never have even particularly thought that I would ever be a journalist. And I was very lucky to get a job on the Times' books desk, which came about through a series of quite kind of random, lucky chances. And then I was sort of so excited to be there. I just sort of volunteered for everything I could possibly do. And eventually, I think through seeming eager, ended up where I am. And so, yes, you review podcasts. And what I love about your reviews what I love and equally fear about your reviews is that they are very honest, which is great. But that's all why I have never put my hand in the air to say, <laughs> what do you think about this podcast? Because yes, you are, you're blunt. I don't think you're in any danger of having a blunt podcast review for me. I, my main enemies in terms of podcasts are dreary celebrities who think they deserve to have their random wafflings broadcast to the general public for hours and hours and hours on end. There was a really terrible Tom Daly, the famous diver, who I have no particular objection to in person. <laughs> yeah. The man did not need a podcast and that went on forever and ever and ever. And I just sort of, I mean, I guess part of my anger at these people is also feeling of protectiveness towards people like you, people who actually can broadcast, people who have something interesting to say. And yeah, my main gripe as a podcast reviewer is sort of pointless, slightly banal celebrities coming in and trying to take up everyone else's oxygen by rambling on about nothing, when there are people who could do it more interestingly and who are better qualified to do it. It's a busy space. Yeah. I mean, it's a real, podcasting is a real skill. I mean, broadcasting itself is a skill. Podcasting, which is so much more kind of loose and a bit more unstructured, I think is actually even more difficult, you know, to come across in a sort of friendly, chatty way is actually harder than it seems. And there are an awful lot of people, as we know, who think, who think they can do it. Although, I mean, you know, I shouldn't really whinge because there are an awful lot of brilliant podcasts out there including this one, obviously. And we're kind of living in a bit of a golden age. It's kind of exciting. I think podcasting is a genuinely sort of new, is it an art form? It's a new something where the kind of pleasure you get out of a conversation mm. and that sort of slightly intimate, jokey, full of in-jokes, all those sort of things podcasts do really well. That's a kind of, no one's ever really done that before. It's not something that traditional radio can do. And I do have a lot of fun reviewing podcasts. I shouldn't be completely mean-spirited and whinging about all the tedious, boring celebrities. No, you're right. There are great ones out there. It's just when everyone thinks, oh, I'll do a podcast. And it's, it's just whether that whatever form of life they work in, it just becomes something that they think they can immediately do. And it does take time to, to craft a podcast. Yes, I think it's a bit deceptive. It's harder than it seems. Yeah. I've learned through bitter experience of listening to some <laughs> bad ones. So how do you choose what you're going to review? How... There must be lots that you have to listen to. Oh, God. Yes, there is. I mean, this is when I realise how, this is when I admit how incredibly unscientific and unsystematic it all is. A lot of it, I mean, occasionally, obviously there'll be stuff that's really famous and everyone's talking about. So we're talking on the morning that Gary Lineker has a new podcast about football. The rest of his football has just come out. So obviously, there's no question that's, that's the one I'd do. Often, you know, there's a tier of podcasts where people will have personal, you know, PR agents will email you and say, by the way, did you see this is coming up? That'll put stuff on your radar. On your radar. I, often the best thing is when I always, it's my kind of, my most annoying conversational tick is whenever I meet anybody new, I always say, do you listen to podcasts? What do you listen to? Tell me. Because podcasting is such a, it's not like TV. There are not a few shows that everybody watches. Everyone listens to completely random, disparate stuff. And it's really hard to get a handle on things that might have a really huge niche popularity, but you, I would never come across in the course of my ordinary life. So I always try and work out every single person I talk to, what are you listening to? Inevitably, that itself has its limitations, you know, the kind of people who tend to be my social sphere. But 
it's fascinating how much it throws up. I, I was only having a conversation with my girlfriend last night, actually, where she was sort of telling me about some podcast that she was obsessed with. That I, had, I had no idea it existed. She probably mentioned it to me and it had gone over my head a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's just really useful because there's so much out there. And it's nice to be able to try and think that you're reaching into this huge pool of different enthusiasms, different stuff that people are listening to, and be able to pull that all into one place and try and show people what's going on in all these kind of various niches. I mean, that's the... You know, that's the dream. Obviously, there's a lot of big stuff that I have to do at the same time. But the idea is to try and have a bit of niche stuff in there, too. Yeah, my family hate it. On holiday, if someone's reading a book, I have to ask them about the book and what they think about it. And then the subject will get onto podcasts. And there were some people on holiday this year that didn't listen to podcasts, didn't know how to even get podcasts. And my family were all rolling their eyes thinking, oh, we're going to be here for hours as Philippa launches into a whole thing. <laughs> Podcasts are changing as well, it seems, because it did used to be that you could do a podcast for hours, whereas now it seems to be people are wanting shorter episodes. Are you coming across that or is that not something that you are particularly concerned about? A little bit. I mean, it's hard to discern those sort of trends. There was definitely a period when I think what everyone thought people wanted was these incredibly overproduced podcasts with dramatic reconstructions and sound effects. That was a real, that was a real era of podcasting. I think, thankfully, that's now gone away. And a lot of people, I think, are coming to realize that what most people want to listen to is just a couple of people chatting, which sounds simple, but as I say, is much harder to produce than you might think. Are podcasts getting shorter? Maybe. I mean, there's a lot of kind of, at the beginning, you know, when it was a lot of people just doing their kind of personal hobby horses and projects, <laughs> there's a lot of long stuff. I think my ideal podcast is probably between half an hour and an hour, I think. You've still got people who go on for ages. I mean, Joe Rogan, what are they? You know, some episodes, three, four hours. He's not getting any shorter. Yes. Who else is there? I mean, there are people who do go on for absolutely ages. I think there's a point when you get famous enough, then you, you never have to shut up. Hopefully one day you'll reach that. You'll reach that pinnacle and you can just go on for hours and hours and hours and no one will be able to stop you. James, I don't think the world's ready for me wittering on for hours and hours. I feel very sorry for the world. You know, it's bad enough with climate change, but me talking for hours, that's, that's too much. <laughs> I think you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to test it. We'll do it now. We'll just talk for five hours and see if anyone listens to us. <laughs> and I'll get the data and, and see, yes. All the listeners. Get... <laughs> yeah. yeah, thanks, James. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It was going so well. And then... <laughs> Podcasts are the ones that you are so pleased about that you look forward to listening to and like to listen to each week. Only a couple, I have to say. I'm a complete, the rest is history, obsessive, probably unsurprisingly. I listened to and reviewed its very first episode. So I like to think I, I was in there at the beginning and the rest is history hipster. I was there at the very start. And that's now obviously completely massive. What else is there? It changes up a little bit. A podcast called These Times, hosted by... Helen Thompson, who used to be the co-host of The Rest is Politics, which is a popular politics podcast. She now hosts These Times with Tom McTague, which is a podcast that sort of takes a news event and then goes really deep on it, either through into history or the kind of broader economic patterns. And I really like that. I think that's a really informative and interesting show where you genuinely learn stuff because there are plenty of podcasts that just chatter about the news. But that's mm -hmm. the thing I always think makes me feel smarter when I've listened to it. Close Readings is my other, my other obsession, which is a podcast about poetry hosted by Seamus Perry, who's a professor of English literature at Oxford, and Mark Ford, 
who does the same job at University College London. And they are just really brilliant at talking about poems and enthusiastic, erudite, witty. It's like, you know, the university lecture that you, that you always wish you'd had. And I, I'm such a fan of that. I've been to see that. I've been to see that live. I went to see that live episode in the Wasteland. I really, really recommend that. They do all kinds of people. They've done, you know, Philip Larkin, Auden, Wallace Stevens, every sort of 20th century poet that you could want to know about, they, they've covered. Oh, I love that. I'm really into my poetry and I, I've made a note Yeah, of I that. think you'll enjoy it. It's really good. Oh, I don't know if you've heard of a book called The Poetry Pharmacy, but for whatever condition you're feeling, whether it's anxiety or fear of not being enough or all sorts of things, there, there's a poem to to medicate you. It's wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I have heard of that book. I, I haven't read it, but I definitely agree that poetry is, is medicine. Mm. Poetry is always my go-to yeah. when I'm feeling depressed. So when you do a review, I mean, I do reviews of books when I'll be honest and say I didn't like it. And, and you, as we say, are very honest in your reviews. What sort of response do you then get on the back of that? Is there a sort of a dartboard with your face on it or are you safe to walk the streets? Yeah, I, I have I have I have been a dartboard a few times. It's probably worse with opinion columns than with reviews because more people care about, you know, opinion column stuff than they do about book reviews. Yeah, I mean it's quite disconcerting because I started reviewing books when I was quite young, just out of university. And you have a sort of certain slightly nutty fearlessness when you're that age. I think also you have a different view of authors. I mean, now I realize that authors are human beings, you know, not particularly different to you and me. Mm. And I try to be usually, unless they're really famous, I try and be a bit kinder. But when you're young, you're kind of like, oh my God, anyone who's published a book is, you know, is a god. They've made it. I'm licensed to say whatever I want about them. And I was, you know, I think I mean, all, all people starting out book reviewing are, are pretty vicious. And I did I did irritate some people. I still sort of cringe slightly when I think about, I mean, I had people posting pictures of my face on Twitter, posting, you know, trying to put everything they could find out about on the internet because I reviewed their books negatively. No! And it, I was just sort of, I remember finding this completely extraordinary because I must have been, you know, 23, 24 at the time. And I think I had this sort of slightly stupid attitude where I thought, well, who could, why do you care what I think? I'm just some guy, you know. <laughs> but actually, you realize if your book has been reviewed, you know, in the literary review or the Times, that is a big deal and pe people take it seriously. I remember a positive experience where I'd reviewed a guy's book very positively. And he messaged me on Twitter to say, he says something like, oh, it's 11 in the morning. I'm drunk. I'm so happy. I'm dancing around my kitchen. And I was like, oh, like, calm down, mate. You know, just because I thought it was good. You know, don't take <laughs> me that seriously. And I think that was a kind of learning curve when you realize that actually you have a real responsibility reviewing a book in a newspaper and, it, you know, people do take it seriously. And that was when I began to maybe slightly grow up a little bit as a, as a book reviewer, because you can easily start out thinking, ah, you know, type away yeah. my opinions. It's all slightly meaningless. And of course, it's not at all, you know, there's people's lives and, yeah. you know, readers. I think I always think the excuse or the, the reason that you should be rude about bad books is that your main responsibility is to the people reading book reviews and you never want to you know, make people think that a bad book is worth reading because then you think someone takes it on holiday and they're stuck with a really dull book and that is a terrible thing to do to someone. And if you multiply that by a thousand, you've given a thousand people a crap holiday. <laughs> that is the argument for honesty, I think. Yes, there's honesty and then there's honesty. It's just about, yes, saying what you think without... I've done... I've done both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the podcast reviews? Do you get flack from that or are you safe? I never really, 
I never really have with podcasts. I wonder if it's because podcasts, the less tradition, the less of a tradition of podcaster reviewing. So when you publish a book, you go through this real time-honored process. You write the book, it finds a publisher, it gets published, and then you meet your reviewers and you find out what the reviewers think of it. Podcasts are a little more organic. So a podcast might come to my attention at a point at which it's acquired thousands, tens of thousands of listeners already. They don't really care what I think. They're doing their own thing. They have their success. And I say podcasts are from a bit more niche, so they might not even give, you know, they might not care that I didn't like it. But I think as book reviews, as part of the more formal process of the public acceptance and publication of a book, it matters more. No, no one's ever really been that, or no one's been publicly annoyed that I reviewed their podcast badly. I think it probably matters a little bit less. I, I mean, I'm probably saying this and someone will be listening thinking, you bastard, I hate you. You I was boring. And, you know, really thinking that I'm being very blithe about something that's really offended someone. But nobody, I think also because people work on books for years at a time, it's solitary. You put your entire life into it. Yeah. You know, to have that dissed in a newspaper is painful. Whereas a podcast perhaps feels a little more informal and less like it's your entire personality being, you know, reviewed. Doesn't it? Yeah. When I get notification that I've got another review about the podcast, you know, I do log on with fear in my heart about what someone's going to say. But equally, it's that balance. You don't want anyone to criticise your craft, but then you want to improve. So you, it is, you want to do better and, and hear from people about what they really yeah. think. And in terms of the range of subjects that podcasts cover now, I mean, again, a few years ago, there used to be certain groups of things that politics and books and but now whatever subject someone's interested in there seems to be podcasts about that do you find that there's nothing that isn't covered by a podcast yeah i mean i've listened to some nuts podcasts i remember once (laughs) the most niche well not technically niche but the way it was done was incredibly niche was a podcast i once reviewed about the lord of the rings and it involved a group of guys sitting in someone's living room literally going through the Lord of the Rings line by line. So virtually each episode would be in about two lines. And it was almost like, you know, that kind of tradition of, you know, intensive biblical study where you take one line and then you get sort of 20 pages of text explaining every possible reference, why the words are in that order. It was like that. I've never listened to anything like it. You know, they could do a good 15 minutes on why did J.R. Tolkien say and instead of but or something like that. It was a bit, that was a bit nuts. I, the other thing is things that the other, the, I mean, the other main problem is things that are just completely outside my wheelhouse. So I was saying to him, reviewing this new Gary Lineker podcast about football. There are stretches of that where I really don't have a clue what on earth he's going on about. I'm really lot, I know nothing about football, but I'm really finding myself grasping around, you know, who's Pep? What's the offside rule? What's a transfer? So yeah, Google is, is my friend there. Hopefully I'll have something useful to say about it. Oh, that's brilliant. So where do you listen to podcasts? Are you, do you listen to them on the way to work or are you just having to listen to them all the time? Everywhere, everywhere. My entire life, basically. I'm kind of known around the office. I just always have my earphones and walking around intensely in the zone. Walking to work is probably my favourite time to listen to them. Sometimes when I'm trying to listen at my desk, I, I zone out. It's very much a kind of, podcast is very much a kind of thing to do as you do something else, I think. Walking is the best time. But yeah, my entire life, cooking having breakfast in the shower. I, my, entire, my entire life is soundtracked by, by podcasts, for better and for worse. It's probably going to send me slightly mad one day, I don't know. <laughs> I'll always speak as if I'm on a podcast. 
do you listen to them on a faster speed at any time? No, I've never. It's never occurred to me to do that. Do you? Would you? Would you do that? Only very occasionally. If I know I've got to listen to something, but it's just I need a bit of a pace to it. And so if they're speaking really slowly, then I just need to speed that up for them. Yeah, that's a tempting thought. Actually, I can think of a lot of people who I'd like to speed up. <laughs> it's a shame that doesn't that doesn't work in life as well as in podcasts. <laughs> oh, that would be so good when someone's trying to recount a story. Just like, come <laughs> on, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. So, my question for you, James, is: when you go on holiday, say you're going away for a week, how many books do you take with you, and how many podcasts do you have lined up? Always way too many books. I've always I begin to justify it to myself in slightly absurd way. So I've begun to tell myself we should always have a couple of novels, maybe one nonfiction book, maybe a couple of nonfiction books. And you can't go without poetry. And then suddenly that's like, you know, seven books, for, you know, a weekend. I always yeah. get totally over, over ambitious. I don't listen to podcasts on holiday because I try and always try insofar as possible, turn my, turn my phone off. Otherwise, you know, I think listen to a podcast Next minute, I'm playing online chess. Then I'm on Twitter. Then I'm checking my work emails. <laughs> then I'm in an argument on Twitter. And it's not how you want a holiday to go. I try and keep my holidays as analog as I, <laughs> as I possibly can, really. It's a slippery slope once you start that process. Yeah, a dangerous, a dangerous one. <laughs> well, we come to the final question, which, James, is the most crucial one on this podcast, one I ask everybody. And that is, what is your biscuit of choice? What biscuit is powering the listening of podcasts? It's a good question. I have to say I don't eat I don't eat many biscuits. What is my biscuit of choice? Oh, James. What are those chocolate ones? The two like a chocolate sandwich. Is that a chocolate bourbon? Oh yes. That, yes. I do like I do like those. I think because I eat biscuits so rarely, I'm inclined to feel decadent about them when I when I do come around to eating them. <laughs> so if pushed, it would have to be a bourbon, but that's not a fr Yeah, and you wouldn't have to push yeah. me. You wouldn't have to push me very hard, I don't think, to get me onto those. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, it's just been wonderful to talk to you and hear more about your background and what you do. And it just makes me love your podcast reviews and columns even more. James Marriott from The Times, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Well, there we go. That is your Friday episode done and dusted. Friday episodes are always much shorter than Mondays, which are long and full of my waffle. So I'm going to send you on your way. I hope you've got a good weekend planned. I hope you've got books to read and podcasts to listen to. And I'll be back on Monday with more chat. Just look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one ever. See you again soon. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.